Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hello and welcome to Thursday's edition of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Anderson, and I feel blessed. I feel blessed because today I'm joined by my old friend, Joel Sked. How are you, Joel? I am good, Tony. How are you? I'm grand. As I said, I just feel I, I, I don't get to. I used to see you so often. We used to do this all the time. But now, obviously, you're. You've got the bright lights of celebrity and I only get to see you on the, on the rare occasion and today is one of those days and talking of the bright lights of celebrity, the funniest man in the world, Sean McGuigan, welcome. <laughs> Hello Tony. Hello, thank you. Hello. I don't know, I got a bit carried away there. I don't actually think you're the funniest man in the world, but you are. <laughs> no, no, funny. nobody does. Nobody does. <laughs> but you are most certainly funny. And tonight we've got a, a bit of a mishmash, really, of stuff that we're going to be doing. Uh, we'll have a look at uh, Wednesday night's matches in the Scottish Premiership, which was uh, Hamilton Ackies against St Johnston and Livingston against Rangers. And then I'm going to go to, where, but since we've got Sean with us, I thought we would touch on so all the big news this week coming about the lower leagues returning. And then we're going to do our next in our edition of the top 50 most memorable Scotland games and memorable again, not best, as that is very clear for for this next match. But um oh, we'll start at we'll start at Livingston. Um so Joe, how do you feel uh, Livingston sort of reacted to um the heartache and the heartbreak and sort of a bit of mass criticism for for the cup final on Saturday? I think they put in a performance that they should be proud of. I think they, it, it was it was the Livingston you expect to play against Rangers. I think they made it quite difficult for Rangers. They were very competitive. I assume with um, a handful of red, uh, um, a handful of red cards, a handful of yellow cards. And a handful. I think nearly a half handful. the team got booked. 
what would you class as a handful? No, but that, that seemed an awful. I would say a handful would be three or four. Okay, so um, it was spilling over from a handful. So it was like you, you. It was like when you went to the. Sh- it was like when you went to the shops. You're like, "Well, we got a few items. I'm not going to bother p- picking up a basket out, basket up." And you've got all these items just f- spilling out your hands. That's what the, the yellow card situation was like at Livingston. Um, but I think that that competitiveness, <laughs> that competitiveness was there, and I think they responded very well. I think they were. Uh, I think Livingston fans in general were pretty happy with the performance. Of course, the the class of Rangers came through, and I mean, the big thing for Livingston is they returned to a formation and a system that many expect, and I think probably they really could have just should have played against St Johnston. They had Marvin Bartley in the centre midfield rather than out on the left. Yeah, I mean, we'll still. I mean, I'd done a fair amount of bashing. On, Mon- uh, on Monday's podcast about that decision, but yeah, it just it all makes complete sense. Craig Sibbald was back in, and Riley was playing in, uh, up front, and we had this strange thing that's continuing on that I really can't get my head around. Sean, what do you... Stryak was back in goals after McCrory's played the last two games. I find it bizarre that it seems like they do have to... They have a sort of genuine rotation going on with, with their goalkeepers. They couldn't play McCrory because he's on loan from Rangers. So he is, and you've fucking done me right there. Ah, no. <laughs> however, no. I, however, I, however, I still think there's a question mark as to why they didn't play Strychek in the final, because I th- think he's just a better goalkeeper. Yeah, because it does seem like there's been like, I mean, it's been a weird season for this in general. We've had Celtic sort of doing rotation with goalkeepers, and they seem to have eventually settled on um, Scott Bain. For all his for all his faults, he seems to be settled on now. And but at Livingston, it does seem to be happening sort of semi regularly. And, and and Joe, you're right; he had to come in for this game. But I mean, it was only two or three games ago that Strychek was playing previously, and then McCrory just came in out, out of nowhere once again and ended up playing in the biggest game of the of the season. And uh, I agree with you, Sean. He's most certainly um, just frankly the. The better goal. You're the goalkeeper, Joe. Is is Strychek the better goalkeeper? Yes, from what I've, all round goalkeeper, uh, goalkeeping quality wise, uh, Strychek is is someone who strikes me as just being more reliable, and I think that's the that that's the main thing you want in a goalkeeper. I know Sean has talked previously about air goalkeepers. Uh, Semi Slal, uh, how do you say it? Semi Slal. Sinny Salo has uh, described them as erratic uh, and fun to watch. As, as a, when you're wanting a goalkeeper for your team, you don't want to be an erratic or fun to watch. And I think uh, Stryek is is the reliable of the two. I thought uh, I thought Riley I, th- I thought Riley was an interesting choice to, to lead the line. He was he looked totally isolated for, for what I seen in terms of in terms of how Livingston played. I thought they. I thought they restricted Rangers quite well. I know, I know in the second half, Rangers probably dominated a bit more. Morelos had a few good chances. He he could have two or three on the night. And obviously ended the night with, with, with a late solitary goal. In terms of living central Rangers, like they did from a couple of set pieces, but not nothing much for open play. I mean, they were they were rigid and they were dogged, but I they never really looked like they were going to win the game. I didn't think. Yeah, I think it was much. Um, so Robinson got brought on. Riley, I think, did he get injured? 
um, in, in the first half um, yeah. it came off and then so Robinson had their best chance if I remember from, from across but then Robinson was taken off for Tiffany and I, I, I know we sort of talk quite regularly about how it's good that Martindale rotates his squad and, and tactically he's flexible and these are all positives but I, I, do you not think maybe that Robinson for me why he seems fit he seems strong he, he strikes me as someone who could more than he's more than capable of playing a couple of games a week but he always seems to be in and out he plays the the, the sort of bigger games but he always seems to be in and out why, why why wouldn't they just stick with sort of that focal point he seems to make everyone else in the team play better with Robinson I can kind of understand for this game just because he was a doubt for the well, it wasn't a doubt for the, the the final but at one point it was touch and go because I think he had a back issue if I'm right he certainly had an injury issue going into the cup final and uh, obviously he was fit enough to play and I think obviously with the, the game coming two three days after that I think that's probably just taken into consideration that uh, Martin Dale's thought right, he's probably best on the bench and I don't know if that's why he's uh, maybe they decided right he can only play what 60 minutes what time when did he get taken off for uh, Tiffany he got he, taken off at 75 minutes so that's uh, maybe he, they only thought he could play 50 55 yeah. minutes of my of a maths is correct um, right Sean let's sort of come you to the sort of most controversial incident in the game, and that will be Alfredo Morelos being booked after going down from a tackle from stride check when he was going in on goal. What was your take on that? Uh, could it could it be a dive and a penalty? I is, think it like, can. That, are, are you allowed to say that? Because I thought I thought he made a meal of it, but it was it was a penalty. But I can understand why it wasn't given because I think when you see it from uh, the f- initial angle, it looked like he was already going down. He had a weird. That was a weird kind of collapse that he had at the end. Uh, yeah, it, like, so his, the way he fell made it look like it was a dive, and it was only when you saw it from behind the goals you're like, well, actually, no, he, he was clattered there. But he already looked like he was maybe going down at that point. I, I, I still thought it was a penalty, but I also thought he tried to, to make it look more of a penalty than it was. I... The... So the angle where it's it's kind of it's from the the touch line just out by where the linesman was, uh, so you could actually see uh, strike come out and and make contact. I that I didn't think it was. I didn't think it looked like uh, Morales was diving into strike. I, I thought as soon as that the contact was made. Then Morelos looked like he was diving. Like you said, it was a very unusual um, fall where the fall looked like he was trying to win a penalty when in fact he'd actually been he'd, he'd actually been clipped I can understand why John Beaton isn't seeing it just because he, just because when he when Morales goes into the box he is just past the centre circle and so he's got it's quite a bit of distance and quite a few players in, in front of him but the near side linesman is probably perfectly placed to actually see that and I think that's what irked Steven Gerrard so much well, I think that's the perfect time to, to come on to Steven Gerrard and his reaction of it was fucking bang wrong, which is not a phrase I've heard before. And as a friend of mine said off air, he's like, just because they're top of the league, you can't just go making up phrases. Mm-hmm. But, um, he's he, he, he didn't come across great, did he? No, uh, 
I would compare it to, in, in terms of how he how he came across, it uh, was just probably one step below him pushing away the camera at Crystal Palace when Suarez was crying into his jersey. <laughs> <laughs> he, as he walked um, off, he kind he kind of zipped up his jacket as, as if to uh, just try not to pay attention to the camera that was following him following him off the pitch. Do you think, Sean, do you think he knew the camera was there? Do you think this was performative or do you think it was passion? Uh, he, definitely knew the, he definitely knew the camera was there. Whether he was playing up to it or not, uh, I, I'm not so sure. I think he was just, I think he was livid at the fact that Rangers had they got a penalty that, that, that they wanted. I, I, I felt a wee bit sorry for beating. He looked, because I think he absolutely knew that the camera was there as well. And I, I, I didn't think it was a bit odd that he wouldn't really look at Gerard. I'm not entirely sure why he wouldn't just look at him and speak to him, but you could see he was saying, I, I can't speak to you here, I, I can't speak to you here. And then obviously just Gerard took a step too far, whether he, whether he told him to fuck off after he got the initial yellow or whatever, I don't know. But uh, the fact he wouldn't just look at Gerard and speak to him normally felt slightly odd. But whether they're not allowed to do that do on the pitch, I don't know. I mean, he was, he was literally saying, I can't speak to you on the park, or I can't speak to you here. Robbie Nielsen has also uh, spoken this season about John Beaton and the fact that he can't speak to him. But this is Robbie Nielsen who's spoken about just about every single referee. Um, I, I wouldn't read too much into uh, into that side. Yeah, and at least we got the, the referee right, unlike the, the Daily Record today who printed it was was it Bobby Madden or something, or one of the papers did. Anyway... Yes, um, uh, like six foot uh, baldy Bobby Madden. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's like... Probably the most distinctive of the of the referees that we that we that we have here, but uh, Morelos got the got the winning goal. Uh, it was a sort of it was everything. Actually, before I move on to that, actually, I was just thinking with Jared, I was interested listening to Shelley Kerr talking about on sports scene, talking about how it shows his um, sort of passion and the will to win and all that. And I and I wasn't against that, and I, and I know that fans will lap that up, and I I, I do it myself. I mean, I, I followed Neil Lennon for a while as a, as a Hibs fan and I sometimes got a little pop out of him taking a dig at um, sort of other at referees and sort of defending the team and, and all that type of stuff. But it's always an interesting thing that I do find that you're able to, it's one of the few times you can sort of act like a, a complete knob, uh, be really aggressive and, and bullying someone at work. <laughs> And it can be looked upon as a as a positive, uh, which is sort of like. And again, I, I, I'm not I'm not criticizing. This isn't me criticizing Gerard. It's just me criticizing. Well, not even criticizing. Just commenting on the whole how we how we judge, how we treat people, and and how it's sort of celebrated almost. The, the only the only way the only thing I can kind of uh, compare it to in a work situation is you see it on usually US tight uh, crime procedurals where um, IA are trying to get involved. And the referees are the internal affairs, and the, the the cops under investigation are the players and managers, and it feels like they have free reign of going at them. Um, what, what what I thought was unusual is the fact that I like, I could I could probably understand it more if it was a manager that was at the bottom of the table and they'd seen something like that go against them, something that was going to have that could potentially have a massive impact on them staying up or going down. Rangers have won the league. Like, like, see, see, even if they didn't win last night, didn't matter. They're still going to win the league. And and for Gerard to go, uh, kind of so over the top and, and over the score, I, I I thought was slightly unusual. I suppose. 
Sean, you should know by now that it's even if uh, Rangers or Celtic are cantering to the title, the referees are still <laughs> remarkably against them. <laughs> operation Stop the Ten, or, or Operation Help the Ten, uh, in, in this case. Um, just before we move on, um, sort of vintage performance, sort of like these classic performances from Manila. So I thought it was really unusual that he didn't lose the fucking rag when uh, he got the booking because I, I agree I think it was a penalty I think he did make the most of it so it might be one of those where he completely intended on diving and actually getting getting touched by the goalie wasn't really what he was thinking was going to happen so he still felt a bit sheepish after it because his reaction wasn't what we would come to expect from Alfredo Morelos in a scenario where he's been wronged but um, he's got that weird thing like his temperament is sort of like he's a contradiction it's like his temperament can be so bad people can wind him up he can do daft stuff he can get involved in all this stuff off the ball which can come as, as a negative but he's also got that sort of really strong mentality where it doesn't matter how many chances he misses he just keeps on sort of coming back for more it doesn't seem to face him he always wants to get the to get the ball and it just it'll, it'll set him in, in good stead he's a, he's, a, he's a top class player at this level yeah the um the one thing that I, I took away from the game was just how confident Mor- uh, Morelos uh, looked. It's it's a weird thing to say when you miss so many chances, like uh, miss three or four chances before you score. Sometimes you you think right, okay, that sometimes that happens where Morelos, if he's he's not in his game, he's not confident, he's snatching it, he's snatching at chances and missing, still missing those chances. But I think he was in every position. He like, there were good efforts, there were relatively good efforts. He had the confidence to take them on. He was right to take them on. But he's all round game as well, uh, and he obviously deserved his goal at the end. I. Uh, I do have to pick on Scott Pittman there because he noticed the way the game was, the the way the play was developing, that he had to get back and mark Morelos. He made a quick movement to get beside Morelos, but he stood on the opposite side. He didn't go, he should have just went goal side. And then he stood on the opposite side and then appealed for offside when there was about three Livingston players behind him. You could, you could tell that he knew that he'd, kind of, that he'd kind of fucked up at that point as well. Right, let's move on. There's plenty on that. Uh, we'll move on to the game that I watched, uh, which was at the OCD. What's the name of the stadium? I just call it New Douglas Park. What's the, the, what's the New home? Douglas Park? But we'll, we'll stick with that. Yeah, we're traditionalists. Uh, so I went there and it was Hamilton Academicals against the League Cup winners, St Johnston, and I found this quite a uh, engrossing game, if you like. Uh, I mean, Aki's started pretty well. They were they were pressing. They were they were they were really direct. They'd moved a dolphin into the back three, unfortunately, Joel. And I thought and my, my heart sank for you there. He's he sort of moved back there since the Hibs game yeah. uh, due to injuries to Andy Martin. And now that Andy Martin's back, unfortunately. Aaron Martin. Aaron Martin, sorry. Uh, and now Jamie Hamilton, who was they thought would be suspended, but he got his red card rescinded. But unfortunately, he got injured. So that meant a dolphin went into the back three. Uh, St Johnston, on the other hand, they made four changes to the to the side that won the league cup, which I'd say is it's not unexpected. I mean, they they make changes so so regularly. I mean, Stevie May came in for for Chris Kane, Melamed came in for Conway, uh, Tanzer was in for Booth, and Bryson came in for oh, I just slipped my mind, Ali McCann. Um, but after those five minutes, uh, St Johnston totally sort of imposed themselves on the game, and it was sort of just wave after wave of um, St Johnston attack. The uh, Tanzer just had the 
sort of the run of of the left hand side. Uh, Hodson, who's a player that I think's been improving uh, a lot recently, and in, in this better thing, he was sort of non-existent in that defensive sense, and I thought Tanzer looked like he was he was fair enjoying himself. And but you would have loved it, Joe, because despite the missing of a dolphin from that central midfield role, which is a big miss because he's such a he's an well not perfect. He's he's extremely entertaining, and you you, you sort of you can can't help but appreciate the work he's doing in there. But at the back, since it was back to the wall, it, it literally just became a dolphin versus St Johnston, and he was blocking. It was him that blocked every shot. It was him that was making every last ditch tackle. It was him that was pushing out to to the right to try and stop uh, Tanzer's shots, and it just uh, it was just absolutely wild to watch it was really enjoyable and it is sort of this player where he sort of like becomes a sort of one-man banjo as you i'm sure you'll yeah he i was was just going to say that i'm just checking it just now but i think he is miles in front in terms of a shot the season in the league uh he is well not miles in front he's four in front uh so (laughs) definitely not miles but he is uh he's always been top of the the list for shots blocked in the league and he is one of those players who Hamilton could really do with two of them just one for centre back and one for midfield because I have to come uh, come to it the chance Scott Tanzer had a couple of chances uh, uh, there was a second one I think Charlie Trafford went to clear the ball but he just think it was so weird it was it was, it was uh, I think he got the ball at the in his own penalty spot and he just dinked it to Scott Tanzer about <laughs> yeah. 10 yards away inside his own box yeah. it was absolutely bizarre <laughs> uh, that was one of those you sit up and take notice when you're sitting watching the game and what you're doing and I'm not Trafford's biggest fan I don't think anyone is on this he just seems no. so nondescript but he was certainly descriptive in that moment uh, and it was uh, yeah it was just absolutely useless uh, at that point so Tony, let me ask you because you obviously watched the game. I watched the highlights, and it did seem like it was St. Johnson for for large parts. How was it a case of kind of St. Johnson of uh, old? Did I say St. Johnson of old? St. Johnson of earlier this season, where they were playing really well, but they were just very uh, wasteful in the final third. Yeah, they were pretty wasteful in front of goal at times. But I would say um, to, de- to defend Hamilton in that case, I thought they defended all right because it's not like St Johnson were getting in on their goal a lot. It was shots from the edge of the box. It was shot. It was crosses from wide. Uh, we're seeing this sort of obviously with Sean Rooney playing and um, with uh, the sort of crosses coming from one of the wing backs or wide midfielders going to the other side to, to Rooney which was has been a feature I mean we saw that that actually created a goal against Celtic that was booth to Rooney and that happened a few times in this game Stevie May uh, well he doesn't have the same work rate and um, the sort of same sort of pest factor as, as maybe Chris Kane does um, he still has sort of the technical side so he, he has lovely little layoffs and that created a few chances just with a bit of intelligence just dropping the ball off and allowing for shots and Fulton made a, a few good saves but I wanted to come on to sort of Aki's with uh, the goal they sort of they played their way back into the game they were really struggling with uh, Ocampo not playing they weren't able to go as direct um, as they are because Moyo while he's um he has attributes, not a mm-hmm. lot, but he's got some. He's still not as much as a handful as Ockenpo. He doesn't, he's not as sort of like a handful when, even if 
Okunpo doesn't get to the ball, he's he's going to make it difficult for a proper clearance to go away. Whereas Moyo actually sort of wants to go and win the flick on, if you know, like he wants it to do, he wants to do it correctly, if you like, mm. rather than just getting in people's faces. Um, so Anderson was sort of getting quite isolated. He wasn't able to get the ball down the flanks. And so Johnson were looking for it. But then, and, what I lo- and something that I've loved about Anderson and Callahan um, this season is they make something uh, out of very little odds against them. They know that, you know, they really have to have a high conversion factor in terms of creating chances and taking them due to just obviously Hamilton being up, up against the court. And that goal was just everything that's good about those two. And it was everything that Anderson sort of brought to the table. They've been under the cosh for the vast majority of the half. Um, they haven't been able to get in the game. And then it was like there was... It was like eight on, it was like six or seven on two from inside Hamilton's half all the way up to the edge of the box where Callahan eventually curls in an absolute beauty of a goal. And the two, it's just those two against the, the six, seven, it's like the two best players at PE and everyone knows that they're the only two they need to stop and they're trying to all crowd them and stop them, but they still can't do it. And like Anderson from the beginning of that move where he, he sort of manoeuvres past three players, plays the ball wide to Callahan. First, I got to get in front of Callahan to give him another option because otherwise Callahan's running up a blind alley. And then he holds the ball up really well against two defenders. Once again, Callahan makes a smart drop off and scores a goal. I thought it was, it was really, really top notch. It was, it was just so great to watch, really. I, th- I thought it was quite funny watching the goal because it looked like, it looked like Anderson was attempting to make space for Callahan after he gave him the, the, the ball for the final time. But actually, it essentially ran in his way. He actually kind of got in his way and, and almost crowded him, crowded him in more. But Callahan didn't did matter. He just curled it in. And his, his, finish was, uh, his finish was amazing. The, the fact that he has scored, is it eight goals now this season? And being Arguably, for nine. Hard... Arguably nine. There's one that's up for debate, apparently. That's what the Hamilton scene, uh, commentators were saying yesterday. Right, okay. Uh, and I, I think it would be safe to say that nobody, nobody ever saw that coming, whether it was Wraith Rovers fans or St. Johnson fans or Hearts fans. I mean, he has had... If Hamilton stay up the season, I don't know if anybody else in that team will have done more to... And I know Anderson has made a massive difference, but nobody has, 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 will have done more to keep Hamilton up than Ross Callahan, so fair play to him. Aye, because we we done that, um, me and Craig Anderson done that MVP, sort of like the the likely nominees, if you like, for the MVP at the end of the season. And, and Callahan was the one that I was saying, if Hamilton stay up, it'll be really hard to argue against him. And, and I love that. I, I just love the idea of uh, a player going somewhere where they appreciate him more than he does elsewhere. When he's at other people, you're just thinking of him as a, a strong runner, box to box, maybe a hard tackler. But when he goes to sort of a team like that, the other parts of his game that other teams wouldn't think are quite good enough for them to play number 10 for Hearts, for example. He doesn't have enough of the qualities that they would expect in there. But at Hamilton, they do, and it's allowing him to develop a, his whole game that he wouldn't have the necessarily big, got to do if he'd been at another club. The, the big thing for uh, Callahan is he's, I think he's, in terms of like goals and assists, he's, he's level with some, uh, some really big names in, in the Premiership. But what suits... Callahan with Aki's is that they don't want him to really play f- play football in the midfield area. It's it's about his it's about his running and just kind of getting on, on the ball, uh, latching onto stuff in the final third. And for once in the Premiership, I think he's found a position which really uh, suits his suits his physical qualities, but also the, the the technical qualities which aren't as good as a number of other midfielders in the in the league. 
But this, this must your... be the, this, this must be the furthest forward he's ever played, though. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd think, imagine so. Certain, I think so. He's been given Wraith a kind of freedom. It, yeah, certainly Wraith always felt like he, he fell between two stools. We didn't really know if he was supposed to be a defensive midfielder. It, it didn't look like he, he had the kind of quality or nous to, to be a, an attacking midfielder. We, we weren't really sure. And then St. Johnson and Hearts, there was all kind of fits and starts and it petered out. But certainly at Hamilton, certainly based on what I saw yesterday, he was almost the, the furthest forward player at times. And then, um, to be fair to, to Aki's, I know on the highlights you probably only saw the Moyo uh, shot that hit the bar as another sort of opportunity they had, but they were really on top for maybe the first 20 minutes of the second half. They really came out um, sort of pumped, confident, and we were seeing it more like when they played Motherwell, when they when they won 4-1. Uh, St Johnston lost Rooney, which... Uh, with my, it was like a dagger to the heart when I noticed that he went off after 50 minutes with, with James Brown coming on and play on that right hand side but they were just they just started it was almost like um, sort of like Livingston style where they were going through the middle of them uh, and they were quite direct but once they were getting the ball into Anderson um, he was almost like playing that sort of Robinson role where you wouldn't expect him to win headers, you wouldn't expect him to be able to hold the ball up, especially against three, such three imposing centre halves that St Johnston have but he was more, he, he was doing it, he, there was points he was carrying the ball like 40 yards by himself uh, and then as I say more, that culminated in, in Moyo hit, hitting the bar which I think we'd have, we'd have saw this game go but then St Johnston, I think Davidson must have noticed um, they were really sort of slowing down. They were really struggling to get Wotherspoon into the game. Melamed was showing nice touches, but uh, he, he'd been quiet since the, the first half. And they noticed that and made changes. And um, not surprisingly, bringing on O'Halloran and, and Middleton. And I was it. O'Halloran came on and played that sort of striker's role, which showed they were really looking for sort of drive, pace, and impetus in a position where they normally look for a bit more finesse. Um, and. They, they managed to get back in it. St. Johnson, they were, they were on top, but I really, I must be honest, I didn't see the goal coming. And, and, and unfortunately for Hamilton, neither did any of their centre halves. Cause you were saying earlier, Joe, that you wish they had two Dolphins. Well, here's a prime example. In the 87th minute, they brought, um, they brought Martin off for Hughes and they moved and they brought Sterling on for Trafford. And they moved him into the defensive back three and they brought a dolphin into midfield, which, well, we know that he can play midfield. I thought it was quite surprising that late in the day, I would probably just want to keep my best defenders in, in there. They're going to be, they're going to be needed, especially someone with the blocking and the shots and the interceptions in there. But he made that change and then suddenly a long ball over the top from, from Liam Gordon, which I'll give him credit for. It was, it was a nice pass and Gordon's not normally given the credit for that. He's sort of thought of as the stopper in that in that back three uh, it was a nice ball over the top and then I mean it was Bergkamp-esque from from old your man Melamed Joe yeah when a, it's weird there's uh, there's there's two sets of fans who tag me and stuff so one is Hamilton fans they tag me in a lot of stuff uh, just if, if they've um, if they've got any issues that they want to raise and also now St Johnson fans are uh, tagging me in Melamed stuff so I got tagged in a, <laughs> a clip of Melamed's goal last night and I just I just uh, watched on my phone only watched the, the kind of original 
original play and there's like oh that's a decent goal that's, that's, that's alright and it wasn't until this morning when I seen an angle from I think it was it was either behind Gordon or it was looking at Gordon his pass and then you, when you actually see the the touch from the touch from Melamed but the best about it is the is the reaction be, uh, between taking the touch and actually scoring the goal I've seen someone criticise Ryan Fulton on on Twitter but I think you can't really criticise the keeper because just how well Melamed brings it down and then that 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 quickness of thought to take it real early just kind of stab it past Fulton yeah absolutely sort of superb uh, and his Melamed's touch um, he's got a lot of attributes to his game and as Tom was saying a few weeks back we sort of seem to learn new ones every week but his yeah. touch does seem to be the main the main attribute that it really sticks out he looks like a really high quality football player yeah absolutely I every every game I'm watching uh, watching him I'm seeing something different or seeing seeing an attribute that I think okay he can maybe um, maybe sharpen up on he's sharpened up on it he's improving on it I think when he first came in the, the, the physical aspect of it of course it's going to take time to adapt to Scottish football and I think he's getting used to that in terms of using his body uh, when to be when to kind of uh, expect contact and how to use that to kind of propel himself away and around defenders I think he's he, he's he's turning into a really really well-rounded just excellent striker who seems like a really shrewd signing for St Johnson. It's not something you'd expect from St Johnson to sign a player from Israeli football and to then get him in and play so well. I just I wouldn't see this kind of signing happening under under Wright, for example. The thing is, as much as it was as much as it was poor defending, I think on another day or against another St Johnson forward, they might have got away with it. But the but 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 the touch was so good. Then they, then they couldn't get away with it. Uh, on another day, on another day, they might have done, but I it was that was exceptional. Right, let's move on, and 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 I'd be remiss as I said, I've got Sean McGuigan here, and we've had some of the biggest stories about the lower leagues in the last few months, and these are big stories because they've not bloody been on, have they? Um, Sean, firstly, how did it feel to hear that um, the sort of League One and the Championship, um, League One and League Two were, were coming back? I I have went through a, a number of. Uh, Emotions since um, Monday or, or Tuesday, or maybe a number of thoughts, I suppose. Uh, I think if you go back to Monday's statement, which everybody was kind of getting in a bit of lather about, and I, I can understand why, because if you've been supporting a League One or a League Two club, you just want to see your team back playing football again. And Monday's statement was, uh, which I think was by the, was it the joint, joint something group? I can't remember. Uh, it, it didn't seem to say too much, it, it was fairly dull. How and, and people were getting worked up about it because it looked like nothing else had, had happened. However, there was a paragraph that suggested that, or what I took from it, was that from a footballing perspective, League One and League Two was good to go. All they needed was a government to rubber stamp it. And bear in mind, uh, so that was a Monday evening, kind of late afternoon, early evening, uh, Nicola Sturgeon uh, kind of uh, does a, a, a press spiel on a, a kind of Tuesday afternoon. You kind of presumed that something would Hopefully positive was going to come for that. And, and don't get me wrong, if it wasn't mentioned on the Tuesday or if the clubs were told that they couldn't go for it at that point, then yes, that would have been uh, that, that wouldn't have been so good. And I can understand people being pretty angry about that. But of course, Tuesday comes round and uh, it is essentially rubber stamped. I was I was a wee bit concerned about the lack of details. And then the noises that came from it at that point seemed to suggest that 
Yes, League One and League Two clubs had agreed to test, which is which is what they said in their, I think it was called route to playing uh, back in January. But but again, it, it, it seemed light in detail in terms of how they were going to go about it. It seemed like some clubs wanted to play 27 games. There was a suggestion that, that, that 18 games would be the way to go. Uh I, I mean, we had we had Daniel Lennon on just, just last week on on a view for Terrace, and his opinion was it, it should be a twenty seven game season. How on earth they thought they were going to fit those twenty seven games in, I, I, I don't know. Bear in mind, you have Wraith Rovers who their game on Friday night against Dunfermline has been cancelled. Now Wraith have played eighteen games. Uh, they're kind of struggling to, to squeeze all the all their games in. I think every every Saturday and midweek in March is now taken up with games because the Scottish Cup has come back. Uh, so I was kind of concerned that you were going to have a situation where, say, a team at the bottom of League One, so you've probably got four teams at the bottom of League One, uh, Dumbarton, Clyde, Forfar, Peterhead, they're not going to want an 18-game season because that means they're kind of going to have to hit the ground running to stay up. Uh, but now it would appear that they've suggested a 22-game season, which... Okay, I suppose they're trying to go for that sweet spot between eighteen and and twenty two, but then I, I, I just find I just find that I, I find it a bizarre halfway house. So if they want to keep the playoffs, which obviously they, they they want to do, that means your top five clubs are all going to play each other in the last four games of the season. Then three of them are kind of going to play each other again in, in the playoffs. And if they want to do that, if they're going to have those 22 games, then they're going to have to push back the, the playoffs for a couple of weeks. So your team that finishes ninth in the championship are going to have to kick their heels for, for two weeks. I appreciate that's that's not the end of the world, but it, it, it's a situation that you can avoid. And especially bearing in mind as well, 22 games will be harder to squeeze in and there will be games that will get cancelled because players will, will bring back positive tests. It's not as if you will definitely have all the games in that fixture list played when you want to play them. Uh, so I, I, I think it's needless and, and slightly pointless. And uh, and I know, actually during, during the recording of this, the SPFL have, have given the go-ahead for games to start later on in March, but they have asked for the League One and League Two clubs to get back to them as to how they, that the clubs are going to uh, get round the fact that some clubs might might struggle to play 22 games. Clyde, for example, have only played uh, single figures. Is it eight or nine? I think they've played. They have uh, played. I think, they have, I think they've played. The, they've played the fewest. I think they, they are the, they've played eight, but there's, I think there's two, there's three other teams in across League One and League Two have played nine. Yeah, and I think I think the I think actually the bulk of the clubs in League Two are still in single figures. So so, so to suggest playing twenty two in a really really short period of time, it's it just feels like a, an unnecessary uh, kind of impediment to getting the season finished when you could just play eighteen games, one home, one away against everybody, and then your playoffs can start. Uh, your, your your playoffs can start when they're when they're supposed to start. So yes, I am I am delighted that, that they've announced that, that that games are going to get back. Uh, because I was I was really worried that we were going to have the same kind of rancor that, that we had last summer with, with teams no going up and down and no having playoffs and and that kind of points per game scenario that we had. But I am still slightly sceptical. And until we start playing again, I, I don't want to count my chickens because history tells you that, that nothing is, is particularly easy in Scottish football. It struck me as very... 
is naive the word arrogant about the fact that they think they can play 22 games having just come through a year off what we've just come come through and all that's gone on and I can really understand SPFL have come out and said that they would uh, so they've got a couple of concerns about the 22 game proposal they said it was severely constrained their flexibility in rescheduling matches like Sean said there's bound to be Covid issues uh, who knows with the weather as well and then they're also concerned at this is this. I think this is, should be less of a concern, but clubs having to set out fixture rounds due to uneven split numbers, it just it strikes me as it, it strikes me as a, a wee bit ambitious to do the the, the twenty two game uh, season proposal. I was doing an article today on what Hibs, the rest of Hibs season could look like if they were to reach this the, the Scottish Cup final, and it really does. Um, Kind of just hammered home, especially for example with Clyde. They are playing. I think it's Nairn in the Scottish Cup. They get through that, then they've got an, an, another game in um, the, the the third round. It's just where are they going to fit in the, uh, the the fixture date? So that's what I'm really looking forward to seeing is their kind of proposal of of all these dates. And I mean, I think there's there's a fun a potential fun element which I go back to days when I played eleven aside when it gets to the end of the season. And effectively, you're just playing. You're you're playing catch up, and it's just it's games every few days. And I think teams are just going to end up have to be flexible. Where if they're not getting the cup, then just arranging fixtures here, there, and everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I don't think like it's really going to get to that sort of juvenile football stage where maybe we have to put our. And I know this people might not like hearing it, but maybe putting the professionalism a bit to the side if we want to do it and sort of doing it on the fly a bit exactly like what you just said Joel is like picking up the phone alright breaking a route right maybe we could catch them on Wednesday uh, right let's get on the bell <laughs> and, 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 and let, get to it I mean I think that may, may, maybe mean people being mature about it not moaning saying oh but we played two days before they've got an extra day's rest rest oh my guy's meant to be working night shift that night he can't play and just sort of like just accepting it and and get angry. I feel like that's going to be the only way, despite that not being fair. Um, so our- one of the main issues with that is obviously testing. That they're still these clubs are still having to go through rigorous testing, like the Premiership and Championship clubs, like organising that, getting tests back. Yeah, it's just it's if anything, it's going to be funny. <laughs> and Sean, what do you think is going to happen? What? How do you think this is going to play out? I. I think they'll get a 22 game season, but I can see there being, uh, I can see that, but I suppose another potential is that if, if, if you're going to have the split and you want to, f- and you want to put in these 22 games, you then potentially have a situation where, I don't know, let's say, let's say Falkirk have, have done their 18 games, but Partick Thistle, <laughs> Partick Thistle have, have only played 15 games and then suddenly they're trying to squeeze in, I don't know, three games into, into a week, into the end of the season. I'd, 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 I think it has the potential to be uh, both farcical and a good laugh. So I, I suppose it gets a thumb. <laughs> imagine that. Imagine that. Imagine that to call it. And uh, just they, 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 they just fit. We can't can't fit these play, uh, games in. We're just going to call it uh, and do it points um, points average. And Falkirk then again lose out by zero point zero three four points to Thistle. I mean, I know someone on this podcast that will, that will bring a wry smile to his face. Um, right, let's let's move on. Let's do something sort of fun. And I'm glad we've got Sean here for this as well, because he's our, 
our foot soldier as well. And it's going to be number 24 of the top 50 most memorable games uh, for the Scotland national team. And today it's going to be Scotland versus Peru in the 1978 uh, World Cup finals in Argentina. Uh, one that I think lives along in people's memories and it's one of the few ones that I think even people like me and yourself, Joel, who weren't around at that time, uh, will obviously hear lots and lots about. Um, Sean, can you... You've said, you've said that of, as if I was nine or something. Yeah, well, that was kind of a joke. It's another, <laughs> che- it's, another, it's another cheap dig at you for your age, which was almost impossible not to do in this stage. I'm going to come to you, uh, Sean, and I, I was hoping you were going to regale us of tales of you sort of sleeping with many Argentinian women when you were over there. But uh, but before no, I get no, you to give us, tell us what the world, <laughs> before you tell us what the world was like back then, um, Joel, I was going to ask you, do you know what was number one in the movies and number one uh, in music at that point? Do you know that? Yes, I do. So, so... Uh, so this was June June 3rd, 1978. Uh, number one in the UK chart was Rivers of Babylon forward slash Brown Girls in the Ring by Boney M. In the Ring. Uh, okay. Uh, Boney not, M not have, hu- some, have some good tunes. I, I'm not a huge fan Sorry, of disco. Sean. I'm not a huge fan of disco, but, but I, I can appreciate why it's so popular. Rivers of, Rivers of Babylon. I, I think, how can you not be a fan of disco, Sean? Yeah, I think that that's more important question about disco. <laughs> yeah, well, well, what's wrong with disco? What's your dislike of just, dancing and it's, uh, it's, it's, like catchy hooks? No, it's, it's just uh, not a, a genre of of music that's ever appealed. I think uh, I just really dislike ABBA, which which I kind of associate with with disco, and it's just uh, I it's tainted it. Uh, maybe I just I always think of ABBA more as sort of like pure pop rather than disco, but that's maybe where we differentiate, but I think we're going to be moving into sort of view from the terrace territory right now if we start bringing up Abba and, and Joel's <laughs> sitting with us after sort of last week's show. Um, <laughs> no no comment. <laughs> um, no but comment. But Sean, um, as I say, this is sort of like a memorable one. I mean, there's... Do you want the, the number one at the US box office? Yeah, whatever. Whatever box office The number one bo- movie... Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess this is so. Sean has uh, never seen Lion King, and he's never seen Jumanji. And if he's, if he's never seen this, I will be astounded. The number one at the US box office was Greece. Uh, I've just seen it all the way through. I hate it. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> one of my least favourite films. One of my least uh, favourite films. Uh, yeah, I'm not a fan of Greece as well, and and and, and when I've seen little clips of it from now on, it seems extremely problematic. Uh, ah, it is. Uh, the, it very much is. Uh, and it's sort of that bizarre thing that everyone so uh, yeah, you go to your auntie's parties and stuff, and it, every so everyone in their forties and their fifties now all want to have sort of Greece parties for their fiftieth. Yeah, I don't feel comfortable dressing up like that and acting in the way that uh, these people did. In, in that film, but it is it is a classic. Uh, see if, uh, see if any see if any song from Greece had been released as a single and and didn't have the and and but but people didn't know it from the film. It didn't have the film to fall back on. You would say that song is shit. But <laughs> but, but because it's from a film and probably from a musical, oh that's good, that's good. Not no, the music's rubbish. Beauty school dropout. Fuck off. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I have to say I'm, I'm fully agreement. Joel, I'm getting the feeling 
through things that uh, I know about you, friends of yours who love musicals that you might be fond of this. No, I've, uh, I'm very indifferent to different degrees. I am definitely not hopelessly devoted to it. Um... <laughs> <laughs> You cannot resist it. You cannot uh, resist it. No, uh, I'm, I'm definitely. Um, I don't. I don't spend my summer nights uh, watching it. I'm afraid. So yeah, I'm moving on. You're, uh, I'm moving on. You- You've uh, you've googled the uh, the songs in Greece, haven't you? You've got it on your phone right <laughs> I've now. Literally, I've literally got Greece songs up on my laptop just now. <laughs> but I, 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 I could also... hear you typing in the background, so that'll be Fowler will be going wild about that after they cut that out when when he's editing. Uh, but I'd like to when you mentioned Fowler there, um, he so the email he sent to me with the number one, um, he's he spelled Greece G R. Double E C E. So he spelt it the country rather than. Um... <laughs> well, maybe it's just a film you're not aware of. Tony, Tony, I'm happy to forgive Joe on this occasion if he's bodying Greece, which I agree with Sean. It's a shite film. Yeah. Oh, hello, Craig. Uh, why can't you spell the film Greece while you're here? It's just notes. It's just notes written down. It doesn't matter. I'm not fucking submitting a fucking well, maybe article. That, maybe he thought it was a movie about the financial meltdown of the country or something. Like that. A documentary. <laughs> Um, but uh, anyway, Sean, why don't you tell us what the lay of the land was for Scotland going into this game and the sort of fan campaign? Do you know the thing that I that, that I like most about this is so I Scotland were Scotland were brilliant in the qualifiers. The fact that they had a a celebration parade before they left, they almost they almost had a victory parade before they left for Argentina, which is I mean that's novel. And, and I can appreciate the fact that we went to a World Cup with a bit of uh, bravado about us, uh, a, a bit of gallusness about us, and I wished we could kind of do that now. But we'd the, the, the home international championships that we played before the tournament didn't go well. We drew in Northern Ireland, we lost to England, we drew with Wales, which featured one of the worst uh, own goals I, I have ever seen. And But still, we, we went to the tournament fairly confident. We played Peru in, in the opening game and everything, all the build-up to that game seemed to be that it would be a, not necessarily a walkover, but a, a, a fairly comfortable victory for Scotland. And the, like the That's more strange. He, aye, because Peru Peru were literally the, I, I don't know if it was still called the, the Copa America at that point. I Copa America, things. yeah, they won, in, they won but, in 75. Yeah, so so they won it in 75, albeit it was a, it was a strange tournament in, in, in 75. So they, the holders got a bye to the semi-finals and then there was three groups. So Peru won their group. They played Brazil home and away in the semi-finals. They won 3-1 in Brazil and lost 2-0 in Peru. Now in seventies, I mean, I don't know if there would have been the away goals in, in the seventies off the chat. I, I think there would be at, at the very least. It would, I can at tell the very you. least there would be a, a, a penalty shootout, but they decided just to draw lots. <laughs> so Peru advanced to the final on uh, lots. They then played, I think it was Colombia in the final. That could be wrong, actually. Uh, they, regardless, they got to the final. They won or lost. I think the first game to Colombia one 0 then won the second game two 0 but they decided not again not to use an aggregate score and also not to draw lots. So they had a playoff, uh, and Peru won the Peru won the playoff. But but regardless, they were the the South American champions at that point. But they were almost kind of disregarded. Uh, and, and there was, I know there was I know there was articles saying Scotland win this and that they've advanced to the quarterfinals. 
but other than the first 15 minutes, they were, they looked like they were the second best. Uh, but, but we very much uh, took them far too lightly. I was uh, looking back, like I was reading up about your the lots uh, of the lottery and there seems to be a bit of scandal. And, well, not scandal, maybe a bit of sort of rumour uh, about how that worked. Uh, it was they got the it was chaired by the then head of the South American Football Confederation, Teofilo Salanis, uh, who incidentally was Peruvian, and he got <laughs> and, he, and he got his daughter Veronica was chosen to do the draw, and Veronica was a, a schoolgirl in a grey uniform who had no great passion for football, probably the only one in the family who was not a fan of the local team, but she became the main attraction in front of a thirty five thousand strong crowd. She had to choose from two paper ballots, each contained the names of one contested nation. The country erupted in joy when Veronica chose the urn, so it was in urns for a start, containing the name Peru, and they advanced to the final to face Colombia. So she became like the most loved name in Peru overnight, and then the conspiracy theories behind the saga started uh, claiming that he'd refrigerated the urn containing the Peru's ballot, and Veronica was, was instructed to choose the cooler one. Uh, and two of the players said, I'm not aware, but the legend says that Salinas began to cool the ballot before the draw and the girl picked up the cooler. The important thing is that Peru was in the final and everything else is speculation. But then, sorry, back to the back to the match where we were when we were. He sounds like like a really, really shit bad guy. <laughs> Teofilo Salinas. Well he's got the he shares the name of the, the guy who scored the sort of incredible uh, free Double. kick. Uh, uh, the, the double and who's Sean was widely considered sort of the best player in, in Peruvian history I the, the, there was also a feeling that uh, like the Peruvian team was past it so uh, there was uh, Hector Chompitas Hogo Sotil and Teofilo Cubulas they were all considered past it but on the day they were they were far better than anything we had what, what I would say was during that qualifying campaign it was it was a different Scotland team to, to the one that started. So in terms of the in terms of back four, so Danny McGrain, who was arguably one of the best right backs in the world at, at that point, he missed out the tournament altogether with an injury. Uh, Gordon McQueen was uh, had had been a, a kind of vital part of that qualifying campaign. He didn't play, and I'd, again, I'd, I think he travelled. I think he was part of the squad, but I don't think he played at all in the World Cup. And then for this game, Willie Donachie was suspended. So. So 75% of their, their back four was, was missing for this game. And in the midfield, Bruce Rioch and, and Don Masson had been, again, vital parts of the qualifying campaign. They they both played for, for Derby County, but they weren't having a particularly happy time of it at, at Derby County. They had a really strange relationship with, with Tommy Doherty. I know Tommy Doherty is a kind of flamboyant boss, and it looked like he had a, a unique style, a, a unique uh, way about how he, how he dealt with players and how he, how he dealt with... Management, but they what they said was that they would like Tommy Docherty would never badmouth them to their face. He would never really uh, criticise them openly, but then they would open up a newspaper or open up a magazine, and Tommy Docherty would be listing a load of reasons as to why they shouldn't be in the Scotland team. <laughs> and I just said it was it was a it was a weird weird time, and none, neither of them were, were playing particularly well. Neither of them were having a a, a good time at at, at Derby. Uh, Alan McLeod did say that he that that, that, that kind of old adage that, that international managers use, where they say they want to they want to kind of foster a, a kind of club spirit. So he remained loyal to the players that had got him through the qualifying campaign where he could certainly in terms of his midfield. 
but I had Archie Gemmell there, he had Graham Sunis there, he, he had options, he, he probably he probably should have went with rather than rather than that, starting eleven. Uh and I, I think interestingly there was uh like a lot of players have kind of went on record to say in terms of preparation for, for Peru, there was very little. Like they didn't know a lot about the the, the, the opponents, both in terms of Peru and Iran. Uh, there was a, a press conference where Alan McLeod was going on about the fact that he, would, that he had a, a, a video recorder in his house and he was watching videos of, of his opponents. But it, it, it felt like the information that he was passing over to the players was was scant. So it felt like it felt like they were ill prepared for this tournament, to, to say the least. Yeah. So the the big one was he gave an interview where he was talking about uh, Martin Buchan and um, his his qualities as a fullback and the fact that he'd come up against Juan Carlos Sablitas and it would be a really good um, there's a really good chance uh, Buchan would, would would keep him quiet. The only issue is that Oblitas was the left winger and Buchan <laughs> was Scotland's left back, so they were on opposite sides of the pitch. Um, and then there was also the fact that there was a number of I think a, a number of managers went to went to watch a friendly between Argentina and Peru, and there was a BBC a camera crew at the airport waiting for them, and they were kind of expecting uh, McLeod to be there. Uh, McLeod to go and attend the game and kind of do some preparation. McLeod didn't turn up and said he had uh, social engagements, social engagements, and to attend to. So that kind of. Uh, like that that kind of uh, backs up uh, Sean's point about it. Scotland being un, un, underprepared, and I think the he trusted players who were who were past it. I think uh, Rioc and um, who else isn't who else was eleven? I'm thinking of uh, Rioc and uh, Masson, who ended up missing the penalty. I think they were um, they should have been uh, cast aside for someone someone younger. It was interesting as well. It was interesting as well that to to Derek Johnson. Derek Johnson has scored 41 goals for Rangers that season and he'd won, uh, I think he'd won all of the Player of the Year awards. But he was, uh, he probably was Scotland's best striker at, at that point, but he, he probably didn't put in the work rate that something like Joe Jordan did. Uh, and, and obviously you had, you had Kenny Douglas as well. Uh, but it was interesting that there was an interview with Alan McLeod and before the World Cup, Derek Johnson had said, uh, listen, if you if you need me to fill in at, at centre half, I I could. I'll, I'll, yes, I've scored forty one goals this season. However, <laughs> I've filled in a couple of times. Well, he'd filled in a couple of times for for Rangers. He was tall. He could head the ball. He goes so in an emergency. I could probably play as a centre half as well. And then afterwards, when he would when he was asked if uh, like how harmonious the the kind of party had been in that squad, and he said yes. Uh, the, the only issue I had was Derek Johnson telling me that he could play centre half. Uh, he was never playing centre half for me, and he was quite he seemed quite dismissive of him. And even even in the Iran game, so, so the, the the match following this that this one, uh, Derek Johnson had been listed as a substitute in the the, the Peru game, and then. I can't remember what forward it was that wasn't listed in that initial match day squad. Got on ahead of him. Uh, in, in the second game and, and again Derek Johnson didn't play any part of, of that World Cup he, he, he probably was our best striker at, at that point there was just there, there was some strange things that, that, you know someone he could have played Derek Johnson and he, he might have been rubbish who who knows uh, but if you've scored 41 goals and, and you've won multiple player of the year awards kind of feel like you could come on against Iran and maybe turn the game for example uh, either there was some I mean it was a 
it was it was I, I, an odd an odd tournament for Scotland. I found um, so what the, the the goals were of, of really high quality uh, from Peru. Uh, sort of the passing move for the set uh, for the first goal, and then sort of like a wee third man running, and then we had this sort of long range sort of near post rocket for the second, and then sort of like a free kick that I think's possibly one of the most famous free kicks. Um, that's ever been scored, really, um, with the outside of the right foot. But I was watching Alan Ruff looks mental rubbish. Um, and yeah, yeah, I think Joel again. Let's go to the goalkeeper. Uh, what's Alan Ruff up to at these points? Ruff for the for the first Cupilas goal. He both both goal both of the so the second and third goal. I think. The, the, if you're, it's it's not a massive goalkeeper now to get getting beat by them. But I always find when goalkeepers don't die for a shot, like there's something quite off about it. So he he, he did this, he, for the for the second goal, he did that weird thing where he just kind of stopped and is off. almost as if he was petrified by the shot, uh, <laughs> or he was shocked shocked by it. Uh, and he's just kind of when not making an attempt. It's, it just seems like it was almost half hearted. The second one just seems like he. He dived back the way rather than fully extending himself out the way, uh, kind of sideways. But I mean, I, both goals incredible, especially the, the free kick. I love an outside of the outside of the boot goal. It, it was funny what it, it was funny watching them for both goals. I thought I, I thought he potentially could have done better for the second goal because he he just reacted oddly to it. So he never really he didn't really dive for it. He kind of he almost hopped. And, I, and I'm not sure if he would have got close to it if he dived, but it, it just it didn't look good. So I thought I thought the second goal they might have done better. Oddly, the third goal, the, the, which was the free kick, which was the the, the outside of the boot for for Kubilas, uh, Ruff kind of did what you're not supposed to do as a goalkeeper, but it it almost meant that he made the save. So he he takes. So it looks like so he is to the so he's to the left of the goal and the wall is to the right and they're taking the free kick to the right uh, of Ruff and he takes you know that thing where they, they, they take steps where they guess where the ball's going to go and they, they take a couple of steps but it actually it, it did get him closer to where the ball was going to go however by doing that he also couldn't really see I, I don't think he could see the kick I don't think he could actually see the free kick being struck. So ultimately, it didn't really help him. But I think I think another fraction of an inch, and he would have kept it out. He got his hand to it. Uh, so t- I, I'm no sure. It, neither goal looked particularly great, to be honest. Another time that uh, Alan Roth didn't look great was in 1990, where he got caught walking out of a Safeway without paying for his beef. <laughs> Uh, well, he was at well, he was at well, he was at Air United, uh, which I found on my when I was on the internet. <laughs> but after after the exploits of Lee Griffiths, uh, Tony, was it was it not you that broke that one as well? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, I was exactly. I just came up and funnily enough, on the, when when it was googled in and I found it, the Lee Griffiths one was directly underneath it about him showing uh, <laughs> Lucasade. So, <laughs> but uh, I, I'm going to say allegedly because I didn't completely fact check everything, but it was. Certainly there, 1990, when he was at Air United, he got caught leaving Safeway without paying for his beef. Whether see that was intentional uh, or not. See if he'd saved those two shots, he can have as much free beef as he likes. <laughs> but he didn't. He did not, he did not. Um, Sean, I think uh, I was going to ask you about this. Um, you can't argue 
So I can't, we can't talk about this match without mentioning sort of Willie Johnson and what happened after the game. Uh, so Willie Johnson failed a, a, a drugs test and, and was sent home. Now, I, I, I don't know all the details. I don't think it was... I, I don't know what it was he failed it for. I don't think it was a particularly... Uh, I don't think it was a, a particularly like it wasn't like steroids or, or no. anything like that. It was was it was it like kind of banned? medicine for his wife yes. apparently. Yes, it was. Ah, that, that, again, that that felt like something that no, you know something. Like that. If, if that's what he said, then that's what he said. Uh, I do think there is an impetus on on players and athletes that they should know what's banned. Maybe it, it wasn't quite as maybe in the seventies, nineteen seventy eight. There was less uh, less knowledge about what that was. Uh, interestingly enough, he he denies that it was him that failed the test. He, he's always claimed it was somebody else that failed the test, but he was the he was a stooge. He was the fall guy. He certainly used to say that in the Port Bray uh, when when I played cards with him. <laughs> <laughs> <He's> <laughs> Port, you know? he, I did. Uh, no, he, he, he so he owned the Port Bray pub, uh, which is about. 500 yards from my house and he, he would be there playing dominoes and cards every day regaling people with stories uh, but yes he his, his claim was it, it wasn't him that failed the test what was um, it the, yeah because he's a resident of Fife after Jim Baxter isn't he <laughs> sorry Joe one what, yeah so I was just what, what, what was it again that he got um, the, the, the illegal substance that he got pulled up for I've not give me a second I can maybe get it here uh, well, you're, well, you're, look, you're looking that up Tony I've just uh, I've spent a wee bit of uh, spent a wee bit of time spent about 30 seconds look, uh, looking into the Alan Ruff beef story a, bit, a little bit more and <laughs> have, you, have you just googled have you just googled Alan Ruff beef <laughs> uh, I googled to be specific I googled Alan Ruff Safeway beef <laughs> <laughs> I've not made it up. A, a line, a line I never thought I would be googling in my puff. But it, so basically, there was there was a wee bit about it's it's weird. It was um, goalkeepers. The, the websites goalkeepers are different, and it's just got a list of goalkeepers who have done stupid things. And uh, so he, he went to police custody for a couple hours. The charges were eventually dropped, but the damage had already been done. He found himself splashed all over the front pages of Scotland's national press. Uh, and he found himself at the mercy of opposing fans. To the tune of My Darling Clementine, and to the delight of many, they started singing, Where's the mince beef? Where's the mince beef? Where's the mince beef, Alan Ruff? It's in your pocket, in your pocket, in your pocket, <laughs> Alan Ruff. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you think someone could have been a much more creative with that with that sort of ammunition to, to get him with, someone could do it a lot better. But it's not held Alan Ruff back, he's still on our TV's doing that. Is he still doing that show? What was that that weird football show that was on? Yeah, uh, they, they, they just pay him in mints. They don't even give him cash. <laughs> That's more still than he deserves. Anyway. To keep, keep him happy. <laughs> Um, right, the stimulant was uh, Fencam Famine. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, and taken as a constitute part of over-the-counter medicine, reactivin. Um So he denies it. All the allegations, he was in the best form of my life and need no artificial stimulants, he says. And in any case, pretty much was the worst of my international career. So you can't really say that reactivin was a performance enhancing. <laughs> um 
he just he like he got he got sort of like thrown to the dogs kind of that's how they say it from the SFA they sort of left him to fend for himself he got sort of frog marched from police from the hotel after it to get the flight home but it was the only time I was interested looking back he's so he got walked he, a friendly he used to get getting quite a lot of disciplinary problems um, and he got walked off at gunpoint with a revolver after being sent off in a friendly against Fiorentina in New York when he was at Rangers, which, because he was refusing to go off. So a guy came on, <laughs> policeman came on with a revolver uh, to, to get him off the pitch. But I think he was always thought of as quite a um, out there player, out there personality. I'm, I'm reading other things about him, like he was promised 500 quid for winning the cup when he was at Rangers, only to get 50. And his manager said that um, too much money can turn a boy's head. And uh, he was sort of steer clear. And he was also told to steer clear of Jim Baxter. But that was all too late because he'd already been at the pub the second he never got the money. <laughs> and Jim Baxter had been buying them beers for there. So uh, quite a character um, from from the 70s, which is, which is what we like. Um, another sort of nice ones, I was saying, obviously... Um, Gordon McQueen, there was really bad news this week about Gordon McQueen uh, getting offset of dementia and it just reminded me of so I think one of those memorable things where he'd done the bit on Sky Sports News uh, when yeah. Scotland scored that goal against France and so that sort of my memory of Gordon McQueen I never really saw him play um, and obviously he used to do Sky Sports News quite a lot and it's it's sad to hear uh, about dementia because he's always come across a, a pretty good guy as far as I was aware Nobody, nothing to add there. Uh, and Lou and and, uh, and, uh, and something else uh, I really loved was uh, Lou Macri. Um, he opened uh, a homeless. What is it called? Oh no! Don't do this, Lou Macari. Macari. There you go. There you yes. go. Lou Macari. <laughs> do the Macarena. Uh, right, Lou Macari. Uh, he done something pretty cool. Uh, recently opened a homeless centre in Stoke, um, yeah. which yeah, was sort of like which I thought was great. And I was watching a little video of uh, when the coronavirus thing started, and they couldn't all be in shared accommodation anymore. They, they he sort of donated, and they built more sort of pods, little sort of small houses in there, uh, all with numbers and addresses, so people can go to the job centre to access welfare and um, sort of look for jobs and stuff like that. So. Um, I thought that was a really great thing. I had no idea that he'd done in sort of Manchester and Stoke. So good on them. There's some good eggs in that in that Scotland squad, despite the result. Um, very much so. They just uh, just weren't very good at football. Yeah, and we've we've got used to that, haven't we? So no no harm done. Um, I'm trying to find before. Is, is there anything else anyone wants to add to this before we go? Just, it's more Peru. They were involved in one of the most infamous World Cup matches of all time. They would go on to um, lose 6-0 to Argentina. Of course, uh, Argentina went on to win it. And this World Cup is obviously very, it's it's relatively highly regarded in terms of World Cups. But there was all the influence of the Argentinian junta, uh, just with the... um, I think it's effectively a dictatorship there, and it's, it seemed like um, Peru were were very easy easy to play against uh, later on in that tournament. Was there not a was was there not a, after that six 0 game? Was there not a, an ex, it was either I can't remember if it was either or both. It was either an exchange of 
political prisoners or a, a, a large amount of grain was, was donated to Peru after that after that result? So the, the, the notes that um, Fowler sent me is that it's alleged Peru agreed to help Argentina to the final if Argentina agreed to take their political prisoners and make them disappear. So hopefully it was just the grain. <laughs> Bloody hell. Um, right, uh, well, I mean, we had, uh, you mentioned Fowler again there. We you all got to hear Fowler and now everyone's thinking how weird it is that we do pods and Fowler just sort of listens into everything that we do <laughs> at all ready times. Ready, ready to give us a round. We can't even be trusted to fucking record a podcast. <laughs> um, but finally, as as we were saying, that nobody was fancied Peru for some reason. We didn't seem to have done a lot of our uh, research on them. And I was looking up an article by a Brian Bertie who tried to give information to Scotland uh, about Peru and, and, and they didn't listen that and then he said that the press certainly weren't listening and they made up a nursery rhyme about Peru before uh, before we played them poor poor Peru if only you knew what the boys in blue are going to do to you and thanks very much for listening uh, if you'd like to come <laughs> over to <laughs> if you'd like to come over to patreon uh, myself and Joel are going to be there doing our top five Premier League players of February uh, but apart from that, you can see us on our Terrace podcast. You've got a view for the Terrace coming on uh, on Friday night. I'm sure it'll be great. I've heard some really fun things are going to be on there. So you definitely should tune in. And Sean, Joel, say goodbye to our wonderful listeners. Goodbye. Thank you. Goodbye, thank you. And I'd just like to add that um, this this afternoon when I was out for a walk, uh, a, a man approached me, asked if I was Gary McKay, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> Did you say yes? Uh, no, absolutely not. Because well, but imagine he had a football and he goes, right, do some tricks. Wait, <laughs> but yeah, the guy wasn't wait, watching wait. randomly people just carry footballs on them. That's well, football. Football. You would know if he had a football. You, could lose you would know if he had a football. He'd bend his arm or, or by his feet. <laughs> and, it, and as if. Oh. Do, do that step over. Dive over by that. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was definitely not the one that he wanted. Uh, a real missed opportunity uh, uh, goodbye goodbye Sports Social Podcast Network Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.